Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Anita, I'm a youth worker and a trainer working in Europe and together with Rui Branco, a podcaster from Portugal, we are holding a series of conversations about innovation in youth work. And this episode, we talked with Joe Kleis. He's a um, youth worker himself, a trainer in, um, in different kinds of settings in Europe, and also um, a local actor very active in his community. And we've talked about the power of non-formal education. Um, it, there's a reason for that. He actually holds a training together with two other trainers that has that name. But in this conversation, we tried to explore a little bit more philosophically, what does it mean, non-formal education? What does it imply? And what does it require from our practices? So we discussed uh, how people use and sometimes abuse the power of non-formal education, how it relates to formal edu education and schooling, um, and of course, as usual, we talked about questions that come from other guests and we left questions for the next guests. All in all, it was a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Let's talk youth work. Hello, everyone. It's been a while. Um, we've been a bit quiet for the last months trying to reorganize our podcast, but there will be good news coming from that very soon, rightfully? Yep. So today we are again in different countries. Rui, where are you? I'm in Portugal. All right. And I'm here with Joe Kleis in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, we were just uh, working together and decided to record this conversation uh, because Joe has um, a lot of experience in the field of youth work, a lot to share, and, and I would start maybe exactly by that, asking you, Joe, what do you do currently? How would you explain what you do? I've had um, quite some challenges, I would say, in trying to explain what I do, still nowadays. And maybe I should go back to many years ago, let's say about 20 years ago, that my grandmother, she invited all the family for a birthday party. And at a certain moment, we were all there and managed also to go to the party. And at a certain moment, she calls me as she starts crying. And I said, hey, Granny, you shouldn't be crying. Everybody managed to be here. And she says, yeah, well, I'm not crying because everyone is here. I'm crying for you. How are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing good. I've got quite some work. I'm starting to be known international, got good offers, lots of stuff to do. He says, no, no, but that's what I mean. When do you get a real job? <laughs> and then I understood that that it was, it was very difficult for me to explain what is a non-formal educator, uh, not only to my grandmother, but later also I understood that my, my parents also had difficulties to explain to their friends and neighbors what their son was exactly doing. And I noticed that for most people, what we were doing was kind of a, a luxury product 
like being paid to play games mm -hmm. and games that seem to be without reason or just for fun because it's true we we, we do make a lot of fun when we learn uh, through non-formal education so what i do currently is mm -hmm. i've been progressing in debt ever since and over the last years i would say over the, especially the last 10 years I really took a turn in in looking at non-formal education in a different perspective, like not just as an educational tool, let's say, for, for individuals, but also very much on a community level. How can non-formal education really make a change in the world and shape communities mm -hmm. and actively promote also values we stand for instead of merely provoking a learning process through the educational structure we set up? Okay, so but the educational structure that we set up, we're not talking about schools, are we? No, uh, I think there is a quite a difference, uh, even though in nowadays in many places this difference gets very vague. But we make this distinction a bit unfortunately between formal education, informal education or learning and non-formal education. The non is very is said because it seems that it's against the existing traditional formal educational structures and systems but it was apparently the only creative name somebody came up with let's say around 2005 2006 that was the first time i really heard about that okay so actually you work uh, all around europe uh, delivering trainings or experiences of non-formal learning to people to young people or people that work with young people would you describe your, that as part of your job, or do you do? Yeah, no, how do you that, see it? Part of my job is indeed. Um, I uh, I'm involved in many training courses where non-formal education is the core business mm -hmm. or is the core issue, and promoting that, but also not only promoting, also trying really to explain what that really means and what is the potential of that education. Not only potentials, opportunities, but also the many dangers mm. in there. Uh, that's one part I do, so yes, indeed, mm. all over Europe and time to time also outside of Europe. Uh, but besides this, we also, and that's where we take non-formal education to our community level, mm -hmm. uh, we also produce, develop and, and concretely produce, let's say, educational tools to be used in non-formal educational settings. And that's where we try to show that non-formal education is serious business. We are not playing games. Um, we are as serious as any other kind of education, and we should also be taken that serious. Right. That's also why we decided at least 10 years ago to create a private company, uh, because suddenly it seems people took that serious. Why otherwise would you have a company? Mm -hmm. um, and we know it's, it sounds a bit strange, but it did contribute to, yes, it must be serious business, otherwise how could they employ people with that kind of education? Right. And, and what kind of tools do you develop? Well, we focus very much on what they used to call soft skills, which are actually essential skills. Mm -hmm. um, let's say uh, uh, we try to develop educational tools through gamification, so they look like board games, um, on topics that are traditionally difficult, let's say, to teach, to train or to learn, at least in an, in an engaging way. Can you give an example? An example, um, financial literacy. Uh, financial literacy card if you're going to look around what exists on the market it's produced by banks or mm -hmm. it's online and it's absolutely not engaging so we transform that into an engaging board game where actually through fun you realize that you're learning how to manage yeah in a healthy way your 
your finances. This for children, for adults. Another topic could be conflict management or, or the origin of conflicts. Um, could also be values. We're now currently working on values. How do you measure values? How do you uh, demystify values? How do you look at values from yourself? And how do you put them in practice or not? So all these kind of thematics that are not so, let's say, obvious or easy to train or educate about in an enjoyable way. Okay, so you create games or exercises or different uh, methods to help people learn about, like you said, essential skills like financial literacy or conflict transformation or others um, using these methods. So these methods are for educators to implement with their target groups, is that it? Yes, I think, well, mm -hmm. it's also for themselves mm -hmm. because it's difficult. I also think uh, as, a, as an educator or trainer, you should never be, be, let's say, training on stuff that you don't practice yourself. But I might get mm -hmm. back on that later. I think coherence is a crucial element in, in what we should be doing. And then I want to come back on one of the words you said that uh, I'm very careful in using that. You said is to help the people. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think we, we, do, we don't help. We try to avoid at least that word, but it's indeed to support or to invite rather people right. to explore that, to learn about that without a guarantee that there is effective learning. But that's also, I think, the power of non-form education, which lays in the freedom to engage or to initiate in your own learning process. Right. Trying to follow you, but yes, Rui. <laughs> I, I have, I've been listening uh, and I, I have one question that some... It looks like almost two questions because is I've been thinking about what you're saying and from the beginning that you referenced non-formal education, learning, and you too talked about school. I, I wanted to understand if, if you feel that it's incompatible, if there's uh, the need to work together between schools and non-formal education or the way you believe that non-formal education is already present in schools. And another question is, do you know why people refer to, when we talk about uh, non-formal education, usually it's trainer. We don't, I don't hear people saying teacher. Do you feel that that can also be like uh, a way to tell things apart? Yeah. Thank you, Rui. To come back on the first question uh, concerning formal education, um, I think we are, the danger is we're putting things too much in boxes sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think there's many formal educational institutions that have a non-formal educational approach inside already. They will never call it like that. Uh, I think they will call it, we are innovative in certain participative processes with our, let's say, students involved. And compatible, I think, absolutely. I think that makes exactly uh, non-formal education the brother or sister of of the formal education. What we notice is that for many people, the formal education is very suitable and it fits. And that's also why it survived so long in the current format, because it's it seems to be effective for many, efficient, um, and it also is able to be financed in, in, in a certain way by the governments. But for many people, it also doesn't fit because Many people are maybe like me, I'm a bit allergic to authority, especially when authority is telling me things that I don't agree with or is forcing me to do something that I don't feel like at that moment. And I think non-formal education is there the compatible factor to formal education. In non-formal education, 
the fact that you're free to decide your own interest in learning, I think that makes it, um, at least for me, and I notice this with all the people that, that go well in it, it answers to the frustration of being formatted or obliged in a formal educational structure that tells you what to think, what to write, when to walk, where and how. So if it's already present in schools, yes, but it's an up and down. Uh, I, I don't believe it will ever really get integrated together. Um, that I don't believe. But there is clearly an interest from the formal education to towards uh, non-formal education. We see also the influence of non-formal education more and more in schools. The only ch challenge schools have that they still have to stick to a certain curriculum and a certain grading of the learning. And that's something we don't do because that makes no sense in the approach we have. There is no grading, there is a self-assessment. The difference between the name teacher and trainer, got a good question, never really thought about that. And but how I could imagine is that trainer refers to training where you would take people in a process of learning by doing. Learning by doing and reflecting afterwards on that and taking out the juice of the learning or making it conscious at least. Teacher, I in my opinion at least, may be historically a word that always referred to, I'm teaching you, so I'm telling you top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I, I would find it difficult when some people call me teacher, um, I must be very honest. Uh, but also a trainer, people don't call us trainers. We, we identify ourselves as a trainer to explain it to people what we do. But I'd rather say I'm a non-formal educator. Uh, or a youth worker, or an educator, uh, to court, well, uh, mm -hmm. educator. And and I, I would add to that also because um, knowing that we have listeners from from outside of Europe, and um, in many places this idea that there are three types of education: formal, non-formal, informal, is not really a mainstreamed idea, uh, or, or not even um, one that that is discussed uh, in educational sciences. Um, Actually, in many countries, there's only the classification of formal and informal, being that everything that happens outside of school would fit in the category of informal learning, everything that is educational outside of school. So there is kind of different um, naming of, of, of what we do, uh, in, depending where you are in the globe. But in Europe, uh, going back to your practice, Joe, you actually are part of a team that delivers a training called the power of non-formal education. And I want to talk about it in, in a moment. But before that, really, my question to you would be, what is the power of non-formal education for you? Yeah. What, what would you say is like the strength of, of that? Because a lot of us are critical about the school system. A lot of teachers and a lot of people in the school system are critical about the system. Uh, it seems not to be fitting neither the professionals, neither the students in many places, or at least in um, there is a lot of reflection nowadays about it. But so what are what are non-formal educators offering that is different? Yeah, uh, to come to that question, I want to refer first also to the words you use. It's true, even in Europe, there's still a lot of confusion according to countries. Uh, the difference between informal, indeed, it's out of school and it's it's learning by, let's say, by accident. And something happens, you you get conscious and you reflect upon that, but it was not planned. And non-formal education, it is planned and structured. And through self-assessment, you get aware of things that you've learned. 
just yeah, to focus on that, um, the power of non-form education, I think, lays exactly in uh, in the individual freedom to engage in a learning in a certain setting which is provided by yourself or by, let's say, a trainer, an educator, and that invites you to, or not to, learn something based on your own needs and your own interests. Now, the power of non-form education, and then that's also why this training course exists, is to search together for where lays the power of non-form education. And I think it's in the, in the ability to create such an environment that every single person that that you're involved in it finds his or her place. Right. And it means it's not one format. It is a, you create a universe or a dimension, let's say, a, a, yeah, a twilight zone where where everybody somehow, and we also do this in the exercises we create, yeah, you fit in. You find something that tickles you, that, that, that you find your place in the group, in that learning process, based upon are you more interested in attitudes, in knowledge, in skills, skills and values, you you find yourself also in what some people also say, your your favorite learning style or learning aspects. Another aspect of what I call the power of non-formal education, it's the fact that there is indeed power in, involved in, in non-formal education and the power to use or to abuse. And the danger is that very often we are unconsciously as educators abusing that power and let's say creating a consequence of something we to, to reinforce something we actually intended to fight in the first place. Can you give an example uh, or explain more concretely what yeah. you mean? Example, an example, and I think the easiest example would be okay. Let's work around participation. And participation, uh, you have uh, the ladder of Roger Hart with all the different steps of, of participation, and then actually most people that identify themselves as non-formal educational professionals or institutions, um, the participation they they promote is actually not real participation. So what I, what I mean is like, they start organizing activities for young people, let's say, but young people have to fit in, have to follow rules, have to, and at the end, young people merely have been consumers of workshops, of activities, which are labeled yeah, we allow young people to participate, but at the end, young people had no voice whatsoever in the process they underwent. And that, for me, reinforces a wrong understanding of the word participation towards young people. When they grow up, they'll just copy-paste, because that's what, let's say, the Bible and the, the, the apostles have told them, that, no, no, this is the real understanding. And I think very often this, this happens unconsciously, um, in non-form education, not being aware of the real power behind it, that actually it allows you to really show what it really can be. Now, we notice also that if we talk about non-form education and this way of studying uh, with children and young people, uh, they have no problem accepting that style. I find the, the challenge is rather with adults. Are adults able to accept such a, a process? I've also noticed this with myself, if I mentioned myself uh, at the beginning when I was a youth worker educator, and I look back now, I think, God, I was an expert. I was absolutely an expert in bad practice. I think I've done all the mistakes in the book, and maybe good I did, and, and thanks, they gave me the space to do so. Uh, but it also made me reflect, like, should that uh, be a continuous circle for everyone to go through? Uh, 
because also non-formedication at the time, it was not really labeled like that. The, the terminology, as far as I know, didn't exist. We talked about learning by doing, about experiential learning, and even that sounded already very intelligent, very scientific and university style word. So, are you feel, are still with me? I'm still with you. I'm still with <laughs> you. You actually, too, Yeah, 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 still here. I was, actually, I was actually thinking of a question to make you, because you were talking about how people easily can abuse this idea of non-formal education to transform it, uh, and I see it many times, to transform it either on something that is quite fun and interesting in terms of methodologies, but then quite empty in terms of content, or to push forward a content that uh, that the educator already decided and it kind of camouflages his intentions by making it seem that it is a participatory yeah. approach or that uh, or that you're giving space to the group, but actually you're, you're manipulating a lot the group. But but I have a question on that that, that also follows my practice. I don't know if, if you face the same problem. It is we say that we want to work around the needs of young people or, or the, the needs of, of people, of learners, what they want and need to learn. But when somebody doesn't know something, how can they know they need it? Understand what I mean? So if if um, maybe somebody needs to have uh, to develop their critical thinking skills about the, the democracy in their country or whatever or environment, but if they don't have the critical thinking skills, how can they know they need it? So for me, this is a kind of a dilemma for non-formal education. Do you face this or not? I think that's also, and I'm going to link this also to the, the word you mentioned, methodology. Um, first of all, I think methodology is is overrated. Uh, many people talk about uh, non-formal education as the access to non-formal methods. And then I think, God, stop this. It doesn't exist. You have methods and that's it. And then the way you use them become formal or non-formal. Uh, in the process you build it in, it's like a PowerPoint, can be formal or non-formal. The use of it at least. Right, yeah, I agree. And I think maybe people refer to that also because we talk about formal clothing, informal clothing, mm -hmm. and, and so suddenly people say, yeah, I, I will use non-formal methods. I think, yeah, well, first of all, that doesn't exist really as such. Now, how to to define the needs or make people aware of certain learning needs or learning interests? I think that happens clearly in non-formal education through the debriefing. And what I see, what, what we try to create is an invitation by challenging people on different levels and inviting them to explore that. And I think that happens through a debriefing where people are confronted, well, at least that's the way I like to work, where people get confronted in a safe environment with who am I? Mm -hmm. Who am I as a person? Who am I as a young person, as a friend, as father, mother, a professional? And how coherent am I listening to my inner values, my inner self? Right. And, and yeah. Mm. and and give words to uh, to those needs. Now, we also don't think we have to go digging for needs uh, because that's something what happens enough in society is the creation of needs in order to sell a product. And I think people, and I believe in the good and the, the capacity of people when there's a safe environment with the needed, how do you say, prickles, the needed stimuli. Right. If they have the, the space, uh, and the energy to face that at that moment in their life, they will. And if not, I think they'll make a choice not to go there. But then you can also link it. What is then our job as non-formal educators? It's not our job to keep people in their comfort zone. 
it's exactly not needing the panic zone, but it's to invite them, take a step, I'm here next to you. I, I won't hold you, I won't push you. But uh, to invite them, yeah, uh, stretch your elastic, uh, step out of that zone, step by step, and, and and we'll be there. We don't do it for you, but we can do it with you. Okay, and I, I want to go ahead. And no, then I, I was thinking that uh, one way I see it is that if you expose people to certain topics, they will have or don't have an opinion about something. And even if it at the first contact with the, the subject or whatever they they might n not know that they need they will start to think about when you have that like uh, joe was saying that person helping them and uh, making them feel safe to explore something that maybe they're not comfortable or to explore that's how i see it uh, when you need to people that are not conscious of their needs if they are exposed things start to get in Hmm. Yeah, you, you're right. I, I agree with you. I think I think that sometimes what Joe was saying that you need to create a rich environment and an inviting environment to learn sometimes has to do with exposure. To you know, you bring the topic in, yeah. and if people feel ready to take in that topic, they will they will be curious or they will be motivated. And if they're not ready, probably they will um, they will they won't just pursue that learning interest and pursue another one that fits them most. Yeah. Would you also agree with that, Joe? Yeah, I follow you both. <laughs> <laughs> it's no well, fun like this. Well, but, but, but anyway, I, I wanted to, to go back to, to what um, we were mentioning before. There's a training uh, that uh, is delivered in Europe uh, by you and two other trainers called The Power of Non-Formal Education. Um, and, and it's meant for youth workers for, and, and educators that work with young people. What it is all about. Good. Uh, it's a training course we started designing in 2007, 2006 and 7, when we met each other with, uh, with Simona and Denis. We met each other once a year or twice a year, and we felt there was a need for this. Uh, as we saw in the programs we were involved, or the work at, at local level, international level, there was this need to identify exactly what is non-formal education. Right. Because the word, as the word was relatively new, at least to me in the time, we also felt like uh, it's it's it's, it's going to become a fashionable word, uh, a word easy used without the content, like like many values nowadays mm. are still used like that. And so we start designing a training that we said, no, this training should be different than other trainings. Um, we never expected it to be so successful. We have now, I think, turn run, run around 38 editions of this one, and we've got about seven more booked uh, till June next year. Is the training needs to be different. It's not about giving people uh, a happy feeling. Uh, it's not about uh, let's create an international stereotype of gathering and making best friends forever. It was no, we want to have a training that etches, a training that, that is on your skin, a training that exposes you to yourself um, without, you know, without jeopardizing yourself in front of others. Uh, which is an immersive training where you dive in and where you actually, as an educator, explore unconsciously. You're not aware of this, but you're placed in the one, the, the learner, let's say, the young person's shoes itself. And throughout the week, by the end, it gets clear that, oh, wow, what I felt, all these nasty feelings through the week and these annoying, basically annoying feelings, it has been provoked or inserted in this training course. I felt it on my skin, and then we analyze how 
maybe they exactly do the same with young people. And then where's the reason that young people are disappearing a bit from associations, mm -hmm. from youth clubs, from youth centers, exactly because we unconsciously are provoking that. So you, you, the, the training itself is a big provocation, a thought provocation in that sense for, for participants. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, um, it puts yourself as an educator central and it really questions like, am I educating because it's the only job uh, I think I can do? Or because I think it's a sexy thing to be an educator? Uh, or do you have actually a mission in life? What is your mission as an educator? Why do you choose to be an educator? And so the training is also a very political one where we focus very much on what does what do you contribute to the well-being of everybody, to the better living of, of all together in society? So in that sense, it's very political, not party political, but very political in, in in showing how we as non-form educators should be more conscious of our actions and also be much more coherent between the talk we talk and the walk we walk and and, and those things. Right, interesting. So how, how can a person apply for one of these next um, opportunities that you said already agendas in this training? How, how can a youth worker apply for this? There is this uh, website, uh, the support platform Salto, mm -hmm. saltomidbaryouth.net. I think yes. it's that one, uh, but also it's sometimes uh, it's spread on social media. It's actually completely funded by the TCA budget of national agencies from the Erasmus Plus Youth in Action program. Uh, you can just apply online. Uh, I must say that we have a big a big amount of applicants each time, and I would say it depending on the place and the mm -hmm. time. It goes between 300 and 900 uh, for 30 places, but. We have people that applied several times and they got they got in it. So if you if you so hang in there, insist. yeah, you have to <laughs> insist. What we have now also, and it was to increase a bit the the scope or at least the availability. Uh, we now also have versions of of regional version like the mm -hmm. Iberic is for Spain, Spain and Portugal. Uh, there is a French version, fully in French language. Uh, there is also a Euromed version involving yeah, Northern Africa. And we have now also soon the second one, um, including um, Eastern Europe. So we call right. it the Balkan version. All right. Yeah. All right. And we're nearly at the end of our conversation, but I, I, I couldn't um, close our conversation without asking you, besides this training, if an educator wants to learn more about non-formal education, an educator could be a teacher or a youth worker or a community worker. If they want to learn more about this concept of non-formal learning, what would you suggest they would uh, they would search for this kind of information and inspiration? Well, I think nowadays, the, especially also with the different kind of fundings of the European Commission, there's lots of online. You, you've got uh, you've got podcasts. <laughs> you've got, I heard, I heard, yeah, I heard, I heard about, about a great one. <laughs> But you've got a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, short films that explain non-formal education that also shows how certain methods can be transformed into a non-formal right. educational approach. I think you have more and more publications online. Uh, I would say 10 years ago, nothing of that existed, what you have nowadays available online. Okay, okay. So maybe what one thing we will invite you to do is to help us out on listing maybe two or three links where people could find it and, and we will... Um, added to the podcast text. Great. Yes. To expand the curi right. curiosity. Exactly. All right. So, uh, as we already explained, we have a tradition in the podcast. We ask each guest to leave a question to the next guest, uh, even without knowing who the next guest 
might be. And the last guest that was Virgilio Varela, he was here with us and he left um, an interesting question. Rui, do you want to put the question? Or yes. I? So uh, Virgilio asked, what is the single action that you can do yourself to have the biggest impact in the world? Wow. Virgilio has really <laughs> good, good questions. He's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I believe that people in the pure sense know really what's good and evil, at least according to the definition we, we have nowadays. And I think maybe the biggest single act with the greatest impact could be that we all think consciously before we do or say something, maybe twice, is this good or is this bad? And if you would do that, I think many things would change already. Because I do believe in the good of people. Uh, yeah, I think that would be Thinking it. twice. Thinking twice before acting and, and saying something and thinking of the good instead of the bad. Right. Can I yeah. make a, a suggestion? Because I, you, the way you answered reminded me of a framework that a Buddhist nun uses. Uh, that She explains to people that whenever you want to do or say something, first you ask, is this true? If it's true, you can pass to the next question. Is this useful? And if it passes that question, is it kind? And if it doesn't match all three, maybe you shouldn't do it or say it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a absolutely. very good one. And that's thinking three times before yeah. you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... I think uh, I it, it, to remember this. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it has worked for me because sometimes I plan... Even today, uh, I was in a WhatsApp group and I was planning to say something and I thought, this isn't kind nor useful, although this is true. <laughs> so I, did, so I didn't can... say it. <laughs> well, I think WhatsApp is full of stuff that is maybe true, but not really kind. <laughs> or useful. <laughs> or yeah. All right. Um, well, the last thing we would like to invite you, Joe, is to leave a question for our next guest, whoever that might be. Good. I, I was say, taking some notes about a possible question, but something that, that triggers me for a while already. And we have a couple of exercises that explores that also. But my question would be, what could be done uh, what could be done to give adults their innocence of childhood back? All right. All right. Yeah? That's inspiring. Yes. That's uh, the question. And, and, and this subject reminded me of a book that I started reading. It's called Lifelong Kindergarten. And it's <laughs> the way that school sometimes is becoming more, uh, kindergarten is becoming more like school, but it should be the other way around. Schools should be more like kindergarten. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. The the wonders of playfulness. Yes, yes, yes. Very well. Well, thank you, Joe, for joining our podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed this. And uh, we will meet around in different trainings and activities, I'm sure. Um, for for whoever was listening or is listening to our conversation, thank you so much for being on, on the other side. Do interact and put questions if you have them or leave a comment. Um, or share your experience. We would like to be inspired also with um, what you are doing in, in your little corner of the world. Yep. Bye. You had anything, Rui? Just no, bye. just saying bye and uh, it's good to be back. It's the thing that I wanted to say. <laughs> yes, it feels good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you both. Bye-bye. Until next. Ciao. 
This podcast is produced by Tim Maes with the support of UMAC, University of Applied Sciences.